Hello, hello, and welcome to what's officially going to be known as episode number one of the Two-Footed Tackle podcast, a podcast where we go at things from all angles and with the risk of being sent off. I'm your co-host, Julio Ortiz. And I'm James. Let's, uh, let's talk about what we're going to do with our first episode, shall we, Julio? Yeah, yeah, what's up? Tell me. Tell me all about it. I'm excited. It's episode number one, officially, and um, I think we got a pretty good one for y'all today. Yeah, so since the uh, the restart for the Premier League just finished and the season is finally concluded, we are going to start what we're going to call like a summer session where we're going to kind of do a breakdown of the Premier League, kind of touch on notes about certain teams, about top six, who got relegated, who's getting promoted. We're just going to do a whole big breakdown of everything that we think uh, player-wise, tactically, what each team does individually. We're going to touch on lots of stuff. Does that sound yeah. good? Very, very action-packed. Um, I prepared for this podcast way more than I do for my regular job. So um, <laughs> I have a lot of uh, really good notes. Um, James, you've sent me your stuff, too. I think we're really prepared for this. But, you know, before we get into the into the meat of the podcast, um, I think there's been some uh, some updates with our, our MLS, you know, local club. Yeah, uh, we actually touched on it a little bit in our episode zero if you will if you've listened to it if you haven't you can go ahead and give it a quick listen it's only about a half hour 40 minutes um during that time we were waiting to get uploaded and they actually announced the logo the color scheme and it actually got delayed until 2022 it was supposed to be played in 2021 season but you know COVID 19 is rearing its ugly head again so we're gonna have to wait a little bit longer to finally see uh what this charlotte fc team is going to look like it's probably going to put a hold on uh, what exactly this team is going to look like. They're definitely going to wait to sign players because no one's going to want to wait around for a year. And if they do, they'll probably get sent back on loan, which is fine. But we're yeah, just, yeah, it's definitely That's put a pin in the plans. Um, yeah, I know. I think it's safe to say that the overall general consensus is that the badge and the name a little underwhelming, right? Yeah, I I would agree. I think. Uh, Charlotte FC is a very middle stock. of the park pick. Yeah, very stock. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's like the you can't get anywhere closer to the middle of the road than than Charlotte FC. Yeah, the primary logo they selected just the the circle badge with the crown, and it's saying Charlotte FC minted twenty twenty two. It's very very generic. I I am more of a fan of their secondary logo that they picked with the CLTFC. I think that was really smooth. I would have preferred if that was the primary logo, to be honest, but at least we got a different option, per se. Yeah, and then uh, it gives us a different option when we're buying merch. So uh, we don't have to Ooh, buy yes. the stuff with just the regular crest. Uh, we can buy stuff with their secondary crest, which I agree, it does look way better. Um, but yeah, just, um, just a little underwhelming. I was very confused about the whole mint, minted. Um, part of the of the crest of Charlotte, I guess in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I mean I I'm from Charlotte. I, I grew up in Charlotte. I went to school there before I went off to college, and it seems like it's a bunch of, uh, or maybe um, I don't know. It seems like it's a bunch of transfers into into Charlotte that kind of adopted that whole you know minted image. Mm-hmm. Um. Because I've also definitely seen some stuff on Twitter where you know people are button heads saying, "Well, <laughs> you know that all everyone who who likes this and who thinks this represents Charlotte isn't really from Charlotte." 
Um, yeah. Which I, I think I, you'll, I you'll have that. We're, we're not, you know, special in that sense. I think that happens probably most of where you go. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that, that kind of definitely threw me off, uh, you know, and, and now we have a bunch of supporter groups that are, like, Mint City Collective and mm-hmm. all, this, all this stuff that re- really someone, coming from someone that, that has grown up in Charlotte, I've, I've never heard of before. Yeah, I think uh, from what I read, the Minted is supposed to kind of showcase the the actual U.S. Mint that was located in Charlotte. That was right. like, you know, printing out coins and everything, but I don't really understand the significance of that. Maybe I, I lived in North Carolina my whole life, and I've never really thought of that as being like a significant historical fact for Charlotte, but... I right, know. and I think... I think they really worked hard to try to latch on to something like that. Yeah. Um, so obviously the biggest thing in Charlotte is that the nickname is the Queen City. But, you know, um, apparently that's kind of what Cincinnati goes by. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, they, they, they kind of got dibs on that. So I, I kind of get it, you know, going at, at the perspective from, you know, we're a brand new club, so we want to establish something right away. You know, we mm-hmm. want to establish a, a, an identity uh, and, you know, um, they just happen to go with, you know, minted mint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, don't, I, I mean, I definitely I think don't it's think fine. it's. Yeah, I don't think it's horrible. I, I, I don't think it's bad at all. It's just, it just threw me off. You know, it's just like you grew up there, and then you're like, I've, I've never heard that in my whole life. Um, but still, very, very excited for the for the club. You know, again, mm-hmm. it's delayed. But um, you want to talk about the the signing that we had. Our yeah, we signed one. a. We signed We're not a, our number one, but number one signing is what I meant. He's our very first signing. We don't know how to necessarily gauge him yet because there's no other personnel around him yet. But he goes by the name of Sergio Ruiz. He is a central midfielder who's been playing in the uh, Segunda División in La Liga, La Liga yep. Two, or however they're calling it these days. Um, he's playing for Racing Santander. He mm-hmm. was one of their best players on the team, from what I could tell. And if I remember, he was their he was their captain. I would imagine they're going to send him back to Racing Santander for one more year on loan. I would imagine, but he he seems good. I've seen a couple of his clips on YouTube. If you want to, you can go look. He seems he's pretty decent on the ball. He's, I mean, he he's fine. It's just there's not enough material out there for me to make a full opinion about him yet. And we won't know what it's going to look like for another year still. So who knows how long it's going to take for us to get some more signings. And we haven't, don't even have a coach yet. Yeah. And then, I mean, the thing with that is, like, you know, it's, uh, we don't even know if he's going to – he was just our first signing. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not like he's the guy or we're going to build a team around him. Um, but, you know, I, I think for a first signing, not horrible. Um, a nice, solid central midfielder that – can hopefully, uh, you know, dominate the midfield or, or kind of have some really nice tight passing. I, I myself haven't seen a lot of him play, mm-hmm. um, but it's very, you know, it, it's it's definitely, I mean, obviously way too early to tell, you know, yeah. what other kinds of players we're going to sign. Um, but if the other teams in Charlotte are any indication of what kind of players we're expecting, uh, then that'll be a little sad. I'm not going to lie. Well, uh, I don't want to be too much of a downer about this guy just yet. I I think he's pretty good quality. I think he's good for MLS. 
and I think he probably fit in. But again, we just we won't know until we see what this team looks like. On a yeah, other sure. side note, the the academy for Charlotte FC has already started. Yeah, yeah, so I didn't see that. Um, they're gonna start, you know, getting some kids for the Charlotte area and maybe other other states elsewhere. And we'll see what kind of talent we can start producing. Maybe we can have uh, some homegrown players by the time the 2022 season starts. So I, I think it's good that they've started. They've already hired a couple coaches. I don't know too much about them, but it's good to know they're, they've already started. Yeah, I think it's good to get that going really early, too. Um, just obviously for, for trying to get homegrown players. Um, it'd be cool to, a couple of years down if we see this kid that you know has been with Charlotte FC for for a while, and you know we see him get to go on and uh, break into the senior team. That that would be um, something really great to watch. Uh, definitely, yeah, that'd be big, a great big story. Ups. Yeah, definitely big ups for for them to get get that going. You know, really early, and yeah, we have a whole extra year now. So who knows mm-hmm. what kind of prospects we're going to be getting, if any. Um, but you know, it's uh, youth youth football anywhere is just um, is great for the city. No matter you know if it's feeding into a an MLS side or you know a, a lower league side, no matter what it is, it mm-hmm. always does well. Or true. Not always does well, but you know it's really great for the area, especially for mm-hmm. a brand new club. Um, yeah. yeah, and then um, I think we'll definitely keep y'all updated on anything else that comes through about Charlotte FC. Um, again, they did postpone it for a whole year, so uh, I don't assume we'll be getting news week in and week out. Um, about them, about coaches, signings, anything really that significant, but we'll definitely make sure to keep y'all updated on that. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, um, so that was a, a little, like, um, you know, local segment. Um, and now let's, let's, just get down, let's get down to it, all right? I'm pretty excited, to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I am too, to be honest. So I think uh, the reason that we decided to do this kind of format for our episode where we just focus on one league and, you know, try to pick it apart, try to pick the teams apart, their performances, um, is because it's it's kind of like a little summer series that we have going. Um, you know, we don't have a lot of league play right now. Um, we have the Champions League and the Europa League about to come up next week, which I'm very excited for. Mm-hmm. But um, other than that, you know, leagues are winding down. Uh, it's a very short summer vacation, uh, you know, window for the players. So we'll see the leagues pick up in no time. But... For the time being, I think it's uh it's really cool, and we'll get a really good chance to really go league by league and and try to I think cover as much of the um as much of the leagues as we can, and, and you know having a a post COVID breakdown of of how they did, the teams, the players, everything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to get this going? Yeah, let's do it. So Liverpool, let's talk about Liverpool. I know both of us are not huge fans, but we both got to acknowledge that they were almost unstoppable this year. Yeah, um, you know, I, it's 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 kind of like what else do I have to say that no one else has about this Liverpool side? Um, yeah. you know, Pep has come out recently and said that the they're that's the best side he's ever faced in his in his career. Um, uh, he does have uh, the tendency to. <laughs> kind of exaggerate those kinds of comments, but I, I mean, I believe it. Um, yeah, this time I don't it, think he's exaggerating too much. Yeah, to it's, a, it's a I, very just analyzing good squad. the side. Like, yeah, there's I, I can't find any holes in the squad whatsoever. Yeah, and I think, I think they're really 
well drilled and well prepared for next year. I think if they enter the transfer market and they and they really you know try to spend a good amount of money, they will be near unstoppable again this upcoming season. I mean, you already have a very well filled squad. Uh, so no, so now you know you look at what you need. Uh, maybe a, a Firmino, re- not replacement, but a Firmino backup. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe someone else in the midfield. I've heard Thiago Alcantara, um, from Bayern, uh, mm-hmm. maybe heading over there. Um, I think if if they really and they haven't really committed to the to the transfer season in the past, but if they really commit to the transfer market, I think they'll be super scary again this upcoming year. And it's kind of hard to imagine that they'll be even better. But I think that they yeah. can be. No problem. Yeah, and I mean, even if they don't buy anybody, they uh, they're set up just as well. Like, I don't... Even with Firmino, they still got Divac Origi to come in behind Firmino and sub on, and he's, you know, just as easily capable of scoring goals. And, like, that midfield's already, you know, pretty standard, and they still got guys like Oxley Chamberlain and Shakiri who can come on as substitutes. They can even start and be just as good. And they also got, like, new signings like Minamino who can still come on in the midfield or go to the wing. But they just... They have so many goal-scoring threats and playmaking playmaking threats all across the field like it's it's hard to imagine them not scoring as many goals as they did this year yeah and i think i think one thing that was definitely different that obviously helped them this last season is just how many goals they got from the midfield um you know fabinho can uh, he can score from like 30 yards out with no problem. It's like, how do you stop that, you know? Yeah. Uh, when you have to worry about Salah, Mane, Firmino. And I think that was a thing that really slowed him down last year. They didn't have those goals from, um, you know, Fabinho and, and Keita and Henderson, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the fullbacks weren't as good as they were this year. Uh, yeah, which they've is definitely hit their stride. Yeah, which is definitely another reason why they kind of, um, you know, lost a lot of steam last year towards the end of the year. They, th- those players weren't producing. They were relying so much on their front three that it really uh, kind of cracked their midfield and, and led them to get some, you know, more draws and, uh, you know, less points than they expected. But mm-hmm. this season, it's just, the, I mean, they've stepped it up. Their midfield has stepped it up. Obviously, their dif- defense has stepped it up, the fullbacks, everyone. Mm-hmm. So I don't really see them... Again, I don't think they need to go into the market. I'm just saying if they do, it'll be ridiculous what they can do. Oh, yeah. I I think they even mentioned that Klopp was interested in picking up Werner or Werner from, uh, from Leipzig, but Chelsea beat him to the punch. I guess they may not have as much money or resources as they would normally because I think COVID is definitely hurting them a little bit. So I can't imagine they're going to bring in that many signings. I could imagine like one or two guys. As long as nobody really leaves. But, um, I mean, yeah. I, I, their side's just so interesting to me because they play like a 4-3-3, but Firmino's like a false nine, so he's more of a playmaker. I mean, he, he was kind of missing his shooting boots this year, but he, the thing is, like, they, he didn't need to be that guy because you have Salah and Mane up top, and then like all their assist guys are their fullbacks. Trent Alexander and Robertson both have like 13 and 12 assists, respectively. That's insane for fullbacks, for playmaking ability. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. it's already a handful to deal with that front three. And once you have them locked down, it's like, oh, well, 
our fullbacks can just tear up the wing and just whip in crosses like it's nobody's business. That That's scary. Yeah, and, um, you know, no matter what you have to say, after post-lockdown, post, post lockdown, they, they did lose some games that they probably weren't supposed to or, you know, pick, not picked up points where they're supposed to, but they still finished the season with 99 points. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one off of City's record of 100. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah. very good season. <laughs> very good season. Yeah, and just one last little note I had written down, kind of mentioning how Trent Alexander and Robertson would go forward. They have such a solidified back line with Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez and the kind of midfielders that they have, like Keita. Like, they can just lock down any kind of counterattack. If their attacks aren't successful and they get countered, it's neutralized almost instantly. And not to yeah. mention their goalkeeper. Like I, like I said, it's, it's very hard to find any holes in this team. And they have the squad depth to last in European competitions, having won the Champions League the year before. Uh, they're just a very scary team, and they're, you know, the champions that, you know, well-deserved. Cool. Um, so, yeah, uh, next up, uh, my boys, Man City. Again, um, what can I say that, that hasn't been said already? Um, I, I am a little worried for this upcoming year. Um, it's Pep's last year on his contract. It's Aguero's last year on his contract. Uh, mm-hmm. David Silva's leaving. Apparently, um, Kevin Durant's supposed to be signing a, a brand new uh, contract with us soon. So is Raheem. Uh, but again, a lot of players that I think they're really gonna miss. You know, uh, everyone's talking about Phil Foden being David Silva's replacement, but and that's great. I think he can be a hundred percent. But the real question is, is like, you know, after company left, I don't think people realize just how little he played that year. You know, the last year that he was with City, he was injury ridden the whole season until mm-hmm. you know thankfully the last uh, couple of games and but so even though we didn't really miss him on the field i i definitely missed him in the locker room and i don't want that to be another thing that happens when david silva's gone because you know now you got company out of there that's been there for 10 years you got silva out of there that's been for 10 years the year after that you know the year after next you're gonna go get a wear out of that that's gonna be there for 10 years mm-hmm. so it's like you, you, you lose all these players that really built and gave name and weight to the players that are there now to build or to win championships. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, you know I, 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 don't, I wouldn't be surprised if Pep goes somewhere else, um, just as he has done with every other club that he's been at. Yeah. And, uh, you know, having someone to replace those kinds of players coming in, um, I think will be something that. They really need to look to uh, next year. Yeah, I uh, I would agree ten thousand um, percent that depending on what uh, Pep decides is going to dictate a lot of things for a lot of those players. I feel like, and not even just company losing guys like Aguero and Silva. Like those are like your you know your legends of Manchester City. Those are like your all time leaders. These are like the best players the club has ever seen. And their absence is going to be felt. And even with company, I don't think your uh, defense, your backline, ever recovered since he left. I mean, it was okay, and then Fernandinho had to shift back, and you had, you know, injury crises on your center backs and some of your defenders. But you know, Guardiola was, you know, able to keep that together and make it a functioning, you know, defensive unit. But I, it'll be interesting to see if Kevin stays, if Pep stays. 
I could see Pep staying again because he, he may not feel like he has done what he's wanted to, especially European-wise with this kind of a squad. Like he, They should be competing in the Champions League, but they always fall short. They can win the league. They can dominate the league. They've done it time and time again. But I feel he will definitely have a little chip on his shoulder on his European competition. So it, we'll just have to see what Pep does. And I think that's going to dictate a lot of things for a lot of players. Yeah, and I think no matter what Pep does, I, I, he's still going to bring in the players that he wants to bring in, even if he knows he's not going to be there the year after. Right. And Which is something I'm, I'm really thankful for, because even if Pep leaves, we'll still have a really great team, and we just need to find a, you know, a good coach to go with it. Um, yeah, a good coach is becoming more and more necessary, because you even get teams like Barcelona, who just have not been able to pin the right coach and they've definitely suffered for it and they're losing their you know their prime years with Messi and with that squad and that, that that squad is you know really good but they just can't figure out their results I'm just wondering if that's what Man City's going to turn into you could even argue that's what Man United's been turning into ever since Fergie left yeah just kind of lost and and really that identity part of it um I I'm really excited to see what they're going to do this transfer window. Everyone's already pretty upset with the moves that we've made. and uh, <laughs> But uh, I really don't care. <laughs> is coming in. Uh, yeah, we got either. Ake. Um, we got the possibility of Koulibaly coming in. I think uh, it's all great. I think it's all going in the right direction. I think it's all going at a pace that Pep would really like to see it. Um, and I'm, I'm, I think they're going to be ready for Liverpool next year. I think they're definitely going to mount a, a more significant title challenge than they did this year mm -hmm. because this will hurt Pep, I think. You know, being 18 points behind Liverpool, Liverpool almost getting all those records that he made, uh, I think oh, he'll be yeah. like, all right, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's see what we can do this upcoming season. Yeah, I'm uh, very excited for my boys, you know. Um, yeah, it's going to be like right out the gate. Who's going to meet up to the challenge, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, very excited to see him play next season. Uh, fun fact, this is the first time in like five years a girl hasn't scored 20 goals this season. What? Um, because he was unfortunately injured for like the last five or six games. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, so, I think he was on 19 the whole time. So, uh, very sad to see that, um, but uh, excited to see all those guys back next year and, and kind of mm -hmm. see what they can do. I think I even had notes that uh, Man City scored the most goals with 102. They did indeed. Mm -hmm. they, everyone, so. had really, everyone had really good individual seasons, but unfortunately, um, you know, we couldn't turn that into something bigger collectively. Yeah. Um, cool. Let's move on. Uh, Man U. Go for it, Hamas. Glory, glory. Man United, even though we're in third. <laughs> Let's, uh, yeah, let's talk about Man United. Uh, basically, I had written down in my notes the significant players for Man United. And I just got down the front three with Greenwood, Martial, and Rashford. They are biggest goal-scoring threats. They were basically the only ones who scored goals, really. Aside from Bruno Fernandes, who came in during the restart. Uh, some other guys, Maguire. Uh, Wambasaka and Pogba. Pogba coming back from injury seemed to like we were starting to start 
acting more as like a unit and i think ola is really doing a good job since the restart we really came out the gates running and that really uh that really helped us out a lot we have great young attacking talent these guys are just going to keep getting better and better and better uh, bruno fernandez is huge i mean just as as far back as i can remember ever since fergie left the one thing we've been missing is that creative playmaker that midfielder that can move the ball around, can get it to the to the, get it to the feet of the people who need it. I mean, he made such an impact. He already jumped to our top assist leader, like right as soon as he joined. And at the end of the season, he finished with eight assists. You know, he led the team, and he had seven or eight goals. I can't remember exactly which. Um, <laughs> we can talk about this all day, but our leaky defense definitely let us down a lot. Um, I think a lot of blame went down to McGuire more so than it needed to. I'm a little unsure about the partnership between him and Lindelof. Uh, Luke Shaw really likes to get forward a lot. Uh, Wamba Saka has to drift back as like a third center back at times. We're getting counterattacked. And David De Gea just looks like he, he's like a completely different person. I feel like I'm going off in a rant mode just because I've got so many thoughts of, you know, Man United in my head. But, I mean, David De Gea needs to, to sort sort his career out because he's letting in some really sus goals, if you will. But uh, David De Gea needs to I think leave. <laughs> I think I, mean, I think he's just gotten so much in his head while at United, especially this past season. Mm-hmm. I think it would be, you know, uh, go to another Premier League team. You know, I th- I think he can still play, definitely. I don't think he's uh you know, not a Premier League level goalkeeper. I think you can yep. still play at that level all day. But I just think maybe, you know, you've gotten a little complacent being the number one for so long without really any challenger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe you need to go and challenge yourself again, you know. And, and I, can, I can see how that challenge might look, you know, it, to him as let me stay at United, let me fight for my spot. Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just think he really needs to challenge himself a little bit um dean henderson should be number one for man u next season yeah uh, i, I it's think literally like you don't back. have to spend any money on a goalkeeper you can still keep De Gea, have him fight for a spot i just i i don't see a downside to him being back at united next season yeah i as much as like we can sit here and say all day that he could leave or potentially you know, go to a different team. If he was going to do that, he would have done that a long time ago. Real Madrid and Barcelona have been, you know, knocking at the door for the, God, like the past like four or five seasons, and he's still United, and we give him so much money to, you know, be our starting goalkeeper. I think, you know, Henderson coming in, you know, as his backup, I think is going to really, you know, wake him up a little bit because there's a potential he could lose his spot. Especially how leaky he's been back there. But in terms of United, um, I could see us potentially buying a couple more midfielders. But, you know, Matic is getting a little bit older. I like McTominay a lot. Uh, maybe a more solidified center back in front of Lindelof. Uh, maybe another left back, but I really like Brandon Williams. There, there's, a, there's a lot of potential in a lot of these players, but we're just going to need another full season, another full season under Ola to kind of see where this goes. I'm excited about Greenwood. There, there's a lot of potential here, but I, I could, I could literally sit here and talk about this all day. But I've, I've said my piece. <laughs> yeah, I think squad depth is going to be really important 
this upcoming season. Um, you know, like you mentioned, you have uh, Brandon Williams, McTominay, Fred, who actually looked pretty decent before the yeah, lockdown. Fred's had kind of like a revival. Yeah, uh, but I'm you know post uh, you know coming back from uh, quarantine quarantine and stuff, Ola played the same team week in and week out out there, which mm-hmm. is why I think y'all lost a lot of steam going into the last couple of games in that season. Yeah, I would um, definitely agree. I think I mean that that front line that y'all have uh, Rashford, Martial, Greenwood, it can uh, they can play all day, you know. But I just think having someone to back them up or someone to even push them a little bit, you know, I think. Uh, Martial and Rashford do that well with each other. You know, one mm-hmm. one if one of them scores, the other one has to. You know, they 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 have that really kind of healthy competition in between them. But again, you don't you know with how many games uh, the top six are going to play next season, you can't just throw all three. I mean, it'll be kind of the same thing that Liverpool did a couple of years back, where they're just playing Salah, Mane, Firmino like every day. You know, yeah. every midweek, Saturday, midweek, Saturday, wherever, whenever they play. It's mm-hmm. um, a really good comparison. I think I think lockdown really helped United like so much because first off, y'all got Pogba back, and mm-hmm. as much as people think he's overhyped, I think you know that whole that you know training period that they had going into lockdown and before you know they, he he got healthier, he wanted to play. I think it really helped him solidify that midfield of, uh, you know, Fernandez, Pogba, Matic. Mm-hmm. And then definitely helped Martial, Rashford, and, and Greenwood kind of reset themselves and, and kind of go at it again. And uh, and the season, I mean, the, the games were very, very, your schedule was very forgiving, too, uh, oh, coming oh, yeah. back from lockdown. Oh, yeah. so we basically played the entire bottom half of the table. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that did wonders for the, you know, their confidence and, and really their attack and play and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, uh, you know, how can you transfer it to next season? Um, and I think they can do it, definitely. I just think that y'all need those pieces to back those people up or to give those starters the little challenge like Dean Henderson, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Let's, uh, let's uh, talk about Chelsea because I, I could sit here and talk about Man United all day. Cool, let's not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chelsea, the, uh, one of the biggest Gee. things... Um, <laughs> Benta. <laughs> the, one, of the, <laughs> one of the biggest things I have written here for Chelsea is, of course, our boy, Captain, Captain America, America. Christian Pulisic. Our Lord All Savior. glory to thee, Christian Pulisic. <laughs> glory even, to thee. Even though you are uh, injured right now, I hope it's not too bad. Um, I think it is uh, worth to say that this episode was recorded right after the FA Cup final between uh, Chelsea and Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, Arsenal obviously won that 2-1. Congratulations to them. We'll get to them in a little bit. Um, but again, uh, what can't Pulisic do? He's so vital to this squad. And I remember when... When Chelsea picked him up, everyone was like, oh, my God, you're overspending for a guy that's going to ride the bench. And at the time, yeah, he was coming from Dortmund where he, at the time, he was fighting with uh, Sancho for for that spot on the wing. And he wasn't getting a lot of playing time. And he was still going through a little bit of an injury before he came into Chelsea. So I definitely... That's a hard fight to fight against Sancho. That guy's... Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, but a lot of people saw that and they're like, "Okay, well, you know, you're paying how much for first off an American, second off a guy that's mm-hmm. probably gonna ride the bench the whole season." Um, 
And he just came in, and, and again, he was another one of those post-lockdown players that came in, and he's like, I deserve to be here. This is why. And he proved it every game, mm-hmm. week in, week out, as a starter, as a sub. Start that man, Frank Lampard, every game, if he's healthy. You need yeah. to start that man. And he's definitely made the case for himself. I, I'm pretty sure he had it in his head. He was going to make it absolutely impossible for Frank Lampard not to start him. And I think Lampard's really taking a liking to him, too, because he, he keeps going above and beyond on the field. Oh, my God. And, yeah, in, in, in all the you know press conferences and stuff, Lampard just praises him all the time. It's, just, mm-hmm. it's, it's really great to see that, uh, you know, coming from a manager that – he knows he's going to get some reinforcements already for the upcoming season. But, you know, to, for, for Pulisic to show that right before the big guys like Zayek and, and Werner join, I think it was really almost vital to his career at Chelsea. Yeah, we'll just have to see what the, the two new pieces are going to look like. And as of right now, Kai Havertz has not been approached, and Bayer Leverkusen has not been approached yet, so his future remains in the air still. But I mean, obviously, but, the biggest thing is Keppa right now. They, you you have to replace yeah. that man in goal. You can't keep him there. He's a liability. He's he had the worst save percentage in the in in the league this past season. Yeah, the defense was awful this year and overall. I mean, Keppa yeah, was definitely I, a reason for that. But I mean, they had some leaky defense back there with not decent defending combinations between their center backs. Yeah, but I I would even put the goalkeeper above the uh, above you know reinforcing that the the back line right now oh, oh I yeah think, for sure i yeah, think yeah. they need to splash the cash again and they need to make they're probably going to make someone else the most expensive goalkeeper mm-hmm. um Kepa you know i, I turned into just a giant bust yeah i mean i've that i mean the man was worse than claudio bravo when he got in the league and claudio bravo was complete but it was bad <laughs> complete but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, and that just, I mean, I, I think it would be, I think they definitely have the money. One of the things that I found interesting that I heard is, you know, the year that they weren't allowed to buy players, they actually had revenue saved up from, you know, not spending anything, mm-hmm. which is why they have all this money to spend on Werner and Zayek and maybe Havertz and hopefully some more pieces for, for their defense and their keepers. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't. I guess I never really thought about it that way. But that's you know very smart on their part. Now, you know, I even though COVID has probably taken a hit on their finances, I I still think they're gonna go out there and, and probably spend way more than maybe any other team in the in the in the league this season. Yeah, and I mean, if they don't put a priority on getting a goalkeeper, they're just gonna have to keep hoping and praying that they're gonna just outscore all their opponents this year, this next uh next upcoming season. Because I even had it down in my notes that they gave up 54 goals, which is the same amount of goals let in by, you know, the same as Brighton. Brighton held out yeah. Like, they finished with, like, the 14th, 13th worst defense in the league. Like, it, it, is, it is bad. I mean, I even remember watching some of the games. They just did terrible on the road. They just constantly lost results because they just couldn't keep the ball out of their own net. And if they don't put a priority on Kepa, they're just going to have you know, the same exact issues next season, I think. Yeah, very big Arsenal energy to outscore your opponents <laughs> <laughs> for points. Oh, yeah, I'm talking <laughs> about another we'll, leaky defense. We're not going to buy a, a new defense, but we'll beat you 5-2. to two. 
They better hope so. Um, I mean, with like guys that came out this year, like Mason Mount, uh, Tammy Abraham was really good this year. Uh, some more key players, Conte. If they can keep Conte, he's going to solidify that midfield along with Kovacic. I mean, they they have the pieces. They just need one halfway decent goalkeeper. I mean, they could probably you know benefit just having like a piece of wood sitting in goal. Probably more effective than Kepa, honestly. At this point, might as well try. Um. Uh, but yeah, um, you got anything else to say about Chelsea? I've said my piece. I just need to praise Pulisic real quick, and uh, I'm done. Um, all right, next up, we got Leicester, the Leicester boys. Um, the Foxes, man. The only thing I have here is that they blew it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember how many points was in between Man U and Leicester at it the beginning of the season? It, it was, was 14. 10. It, oh, was 14. Four, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. 14 points mm-hmm. that they could have just picked up draws against the, the, the quote-unquote, you know, like, small teams that they played, mm-hmm. and they would have never had to been in the situation that they were in at the beginning, at the, at the last game of the season against Man U. Yeah, I, I their game I against just, Man U was just like a perfect, you know, just example of what, the, what their restart looked like. I mean, they just could not handle anything we could do and they just could not find a way to score they just they were just definitely struggling and they had a lot of key injuries too to be fair yeah and that's that's something that really i mean you have your both starting fullbacks out you know you have your you have a center back that's very highly rated in siyunku that was also out um you know and i I think the i mean the biggest hits came to the defense as far Mm -hmm. as injuries go and, you know, Brendan Rodgers tried to fix it a little bit. He tried to go to the back three. He tried to have it at a five. He tried to have wing backs. It, it was just so many young, unproven guys that, albeit played decent, you know, they, didn't, they, they weren't out there, you know, not doing anything. They were playing pretty okay. But, you know, when you have, uh, you know, basically a brand new back line after coming back from a a really long delay of the season, you're going to face those problems even against the teams that you're supposed to win against. Yeah, it's so, definitely stacked against their favor, for sure. Yeah, I just, um, it was, I, I, you, you kind of have to feel for them a little bit in, in, you know, in the sense where they did have a lot of their key, key pieces go missing, but again, it's just, you just needed to pick up like, like two more points, homie. Like, that's all you needed. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, or, sorry, I think it was what um, they ended at sixty-two. Y'all ended at sixty-six. Okay, well, you know, you pick up a dub and, and a couple points from draws, and, and you're good. You know, again, yeah. I just think that they never should have been in that situation that they were in at the at, at the, you know, with having to win against a really fired up, informed Man U side on the last day of the season. Mm-hmm. I, it was it was just kind of doom written on the wall before the game started, from my perspective. Yeah, I I would agree on the whole fact that they they quote unquote blew it, but I think this kind of goes to show Brendan Rodgers his lack of squad depth because past his starting eleven, like who can he call upon? Ihe Nacho, I mean, I mean like there's, I mean Jamie Vardy's getting a little bit older. Ihe Nacho can go in and score, but in terms of like his defense, like aside from the guys he starts. Like I, I don't really see anybody that he can rely on. I, I'm thinking this is going to open his eyes a little bit to bring in some talent, to at least play him behind or even improve in some of these positions, which I don't know if he can. But 
I, it was definitely key that their lack of squad depth definitely bit them in the butt during this restart because they could not account for the injuries and the people that they lost, and no one could fill in those shoes. Yeah, and Lester historically in the past couple of um, transfer windows, they've bought well and they've bought relatively cheap too. Like, uh, oh yeah, they're starting left back Pradeda. I think he's a left back. They got him from Porto for like twenty twenty five mil last mm-hmm. year, and you know now all of a sudden he's one of the top rated fullbacks in the in the league. Yeah, they can buy well, and they can buy relatively cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, in this transfer market, nothing's really cheap, but you know they can buy relatively cheap. Uh, but they definitely need extra pieces, or else you know I, I can see them having a tough time breaking into the top six next season if they yeah. if they really kind of go in with the same squad that they that they have now. Yeah, if they, if they don't really make any improvements in their squad depth, I can see them just finishing fifth or sixth again. Yeah, pick it up, Lester. All right, let's move on. Uh, the last of the top six, Tottenham. Good old Tottenham. Good old Tottenham. All right, so the thing with Tottenham is uh, Arsenal won the FA Cup, so they get the Europa League spot. Now Tottenham has to play playoffs for their Europa League spot. Well, I'll be interested to see who they have to play because I, I don't I don't know if they're gonna get through. Um. Yeah. I mean, that, it's. I think they don't know who they're gonna play yet, but um. Tottenham in and of itself, uh, I did see at the end of the season a lot of people gave stick to Mourinho for celebrating, uh, after the last game of the season and coming in mm-hmm. six. And it's like, yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> they were what in fourteenth, fifteenth. Yeah, they were something really like that there for a minute, and they didn't really look good after lockdown. You know, they they yeah, were they just so got the sloppy, and everyone seemed like tired. Uh, I don't know what it was, but you know, they it was a very they still typical Jose Mourinho. Yeah, and and I mean, credit to them, they still came in six. I think mm-hmm. I think that's decent. You know, considering. Where some of these other teams that changed their managers in the middle of the season started and ended, mm-hmm. um, you know, just going off the top, and again, we'll talk about these in a little bit. Arsenal and Everton, you know, both. I mean, especially Everton, very competent coach, a decent squad, but you know, look at where they ended. Um, yeah, but I, again, I will. Will they let Mourinho spend? That's I think that's always. To. I think that's always been the thing with Tottenham where they, they don't want to or they don't want to bring in the players that the coach wants. They want to bring in the players that the board thinks are going to be good. Um, yeah. With Poch, they could actually get away with that stuff, but with Mourinho, you got to... Mourinho will give them hell if yeah. they don't let him spend. And I think rightfully so. But, you know, you, you want to you wanna fight for those top four spots, you need to spend a little. It's just kind of the, the, the way of the game now. Mm-hmm. I I would like, I have a couple notes in here for they have like their older core of players and it's kind of like a changing of the guard with Pochettino leaving being fired which I think that was not smart on their part I think Pochettino is meant to be the coach of Tottenham he has made that team something far greater than they've ever been and he's you know got guys like Harry Kane performing at a high level Hyungman Son uh, any of those other guys on the team they just they just excel under his leadership, and he was able to bring up talent from the academy and bring up younger players to play. That's uh, it's almost a complete polar opposite with Jose Mourinho. He's more of a results guy, and he can bring in the people that they need 
to get the results. It may, it may not always be flashy. I mean, he was one of the more successful coaches at Man United before, uh, like after Fergie left, because he is strictly a results guy. He knows how to get it done on the field. He does exactly what he needs to, and nothing more, nothing less. And I think that's a completely different leadership style from Pochettino. And they have, you know, guys like Vertonghen, who's gone. That's, you know, their key, their key role of leadership in that back line. Their back line was very wishy-washy this year. So they're going to have to replace that center back. All the world is getting a little bit older as well. Um, you know, it's just like those kind of players are changing. And that, that team is constantly changing away from how Pochettino built it. So I think we're kind of seeing kind of like an identity crisis of what this team is, what the Spurs have been known for for the past five years and what they're adapting into now. And again, I, th- I like, think they got to prove to everyone that they they are worthy of being top four. Yeah. I think they did that really well under Poch. Um, oh, yeah. They did a Champions League final under Pochettino. Uh, I mean, that, again, I mean that's obviously going to be the the aim with with Mourinho, but he's going to get it done in a different way if he does get it done. Yeah. Um, just glad to see Mourinho back in the league. Um, yeah, always. Always, uh, always a nice time watching him try to explain himself. Um, <laughs> Good to have yeah. you back, man. Uh, all right, cool. Um, all right, Julio, let's uh, let's jump in straight into the mid table. Are you ready? Yeah, for sure. And for this one, I think we just picked a couple of teams to talk about, right? Yeah. So I kind of missed uh, a couple, kind of like right smack in the middle of the table. But I think we're going to talk about Wolves, Arsenal, Sheffield. Southampton and Everton, and then we'll touch on Aston Villa with the relegated squads, but those are the teams we're going to talk about. You ready to jump in? Yeah, for sure. The other ones were very mediocre, so... Yeah, there's just not really much there to talk about, so don't want to bore you all with that. Yeah, for sure. So you want to start with Wolves? What do you got to say about Wolves? All right, so I've got... um, The big point for me, for Wolves, is they have a big lack of goals and big lack of squad depth. I think everyone could kind of see at the tail end of their season, they're starting to run a little bit, run out of gas. Um, But their goal is solely coming from Jimenez and Traore. There's not really much else, not many reliable goal scorers on that side. And even some of the pieces in the midfield and the back line, if some of their key starting 11 players aren't in there, they're looking really shaky. So with Nuno Espirito Santo, I think he's really got some work to do to get some more squad depth. I think, you know, they're only the second year in the Prem. I mean, they, they've solidified themselves as, like, a top-half club. So, yeah. I mean, he's done a really good job thus far. But I think this window is going to really open our eyes a little bit more and see what kind of talent he can bring in. Yeah, and I, I mean, I really liked what Nuno is doing over there. Uh, I think he's a really good coach. I think he's very smart. The thing with Wolves is, uh, you know, you have these reports coming out and saying that Jimenez is being looked at by a bunch of big clubs. You know, you have Traore. Pretty much the same thing, and like you mentioned, they're their main goal-scoring threat. So I think a lot of people, see, if they see them leaving, then they see maybe Wolves are in a little bit of trouble, but I kind of think otherwise. Uh, I think they've picked up really smart, good, cheap players in the past, and they obviously have some you know, sort of connection with uh, you know, what was it Portuguese players. 
Yeah, they have a ton of Portuguese talent. Yeah, and um, I, I think they can recruit smart. If, if Jimenez and Troyer leaves, then I mean it, it's gonna it's gonna leave a big gap for sure. But I also think they're a good enough club. I think they can invest well enough for them, you know, not to fall off um, next season. Yeah, and, I would agree with that too. Yeah, the consistency that that they've shown as as soon as they came back into the league is is crazy. I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. I don't. I can't really think of a team recently that has kind of done the same, has been promoted, and has immediately, you know, not really changed the way that they play from the championship, and they've adapted super well into the Premier League enough to get them a Europa League spot their first year in. I think that's the first, from what I can remember, that's the first time that I've seen um, a newly promoted club kind of do that. Yeah, and I mean, uh, the closest recent example would be Leicester, but they had such a big issue coming into the league at first with under Nigel Pearson, almost getting relegated, and now, you know, the, the second season they came back and they hired Ranieri and they win the league, but, you know, that's a complete, <laughs> completely different situation. They had to completely change everything yeah. and bring in different talent in, so, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. This is a very new situation, and they've really set themselves up for success. Yeah, um, um, and I think they've had a really, really long season. I think they've had the longest season, I mean, out of anyone. They, it started a year and probably a month ago now, uh, playing in Europa League playoffs, and they're still going. I think they have, like, a 1-0 um, lead on Olympiacos, and I'm not sure if they play away or at home, but, you know, they still have a really good shot of making it really far into the Europa League and even winning it, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think you're right as well. Yeah, um, so really long season. You can obviously see that their their legs are just, they were so tired going into the you know last four or five games. Um, it's kind of the same situation, you know, lack of depth. Uh, you know, you don't have a lot of um, people that you can sub in for Jimenez, Traore, the midfield. Um, but you have a really, really steady back line back there, so, mm-hmm. you know, kind of even themselves up for that. Uh, yeah, that's kind of my piece on Wolves. Um, you want to go over to Arsenal? Good old, yeah, old Arsenal. Yeah. All right, uh, so this was recorded after the FA Cup, so Arsenal won. Congrats to them, 2-1. Uh, they Congrats. get that Europa League spot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... Hiring Arteta was a, a really, really good call. Yeah, uh, he's definitely the man that they need right now. Yeah, and I think coming from where he was at, he's uh, you know, he's he's he just came off of, um, you know, working under Pep, and there were all these doubts about him. You know, that he he hasn't really coached anywhere, obviously. Um, you know, will he try to come in and and play like Manchester City does? And I think in some aspects you you can see that I think as far as like the pressing goes, um, you know, you you can see he's trying to instill that. But more than anything else, I think he's just trying to solidify that back line that always seems to be like the real issue with Arsenal, especially these past couple of years. Yeah, I mean their their back line has been an issue for as long as I can remember. I mean, even going back to Arsene Wenger and his last couple of seasons that he had, he always had leaky leaky defense. And it continues over to Arteta. I mean, it's going to take him a while to figure out how exactly he's going to fix it. He's going to definitely have to bring in new personnel and bring in more Premier League quality players, I think, 
Um, another side note I had for Arsenal is that they're absolutely terrible on the road. They lost so many points on the road, conceding late goals and just losing on so many points. It really hurt them. And now they're going to be playing in Europa League, which is what I think they deserve. Um, unless Arteta is able to bring in more players and he's given the the ability to, I I don't really think that uh, Arsenal's going to be changing that much, honestly. You don't think they'll uh, they'll make a push for? I, I I could see a title challenge being a little a little out there for Arsenal next season, but yeah, the title challenge is definitely way out of the picture. I mean, top four is a lot more realistic, I think. But even then, like the top four now, after they've hit their stride, I find them a lot more difficult to beat. And even like I I can't really they can't even beat Tottenham. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, when we, Tottenham are playing really bad and sluggish you know i i that uh the last arsenal tottenham game of the season tottenham had just come off like two pretty bad games that they should have won and all of a sudden uh they went 2-1 against arsenal i think so just so inconsistent and you know you you beat the top teams you beat liverpool you beat city (laughs) you know but I, i what is it after they beat uh, Manchester City in the FA Cup, they turn around and they lose against Aston Villa, and they put on like a just a very sloppy game against them. So just so many inconsistencies in that squad. Yeah, I mean, you're just getting inconsistent performances all across the board. That's going to be a big you know issue for Ateta going forward, and I think that's where bringing in that better quality of player really starts to come into play. So, I mean, this offseason is going to be crucial for them, but we'll sure. have to see how Arteta is able to, you know, fix up this squad a little bit better. Yeah, I'm also uh, kind of looking forward to see how he handles the, the bigger name players, uh, you know, as far as playing time and contracts go. Um, yeah, that would be a big with, issue. Yeah, obviously you saw with Ozil, you know, he, I don't think he played at all in that last, you know, um, you know post-lockdown. Project yeah, maybe started. like an appearance know. off the bench, but I I can't recall. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm I'm pretty sure he wasn't injured or anything. So you know, there's there's obviously something there where either Arteta doesn't want to use Ozil or he just wants to kind of slowly push him out. Um, but dealing with those bigger names, you know, you have everyone saying, "Well, I'll give Aubameyang a new a new deal," and everyone's like, "Yeah, give him a new deal. Like give give him however much money that man wants." Because yeah. he single-handedly won you the FA Cup. You know, the last four goals scored by Arsenal in the FA Cup were by Obama Yang. Mm. So, you know, I mean, and yeah, that's, that's kind, of, uh, kind of an out-there thing to say that he, obviously he didn't solely win you the Cup, but, you know, he's a man that can provide and that, that can play in big games, and he's getting older, and he, you know, has said that he wants, uh, you know, he wants to play Champions League football or whatever. So in dealing with those really bigger names, uh, I think we'll see a lot of what Arteta will be able to bring to Arsenal. You know, how does he handle them, and then how does he handle new 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 players coming in, and how does they how do they fit into the system that he wants to run? Yeah, and I mean it'll be interesting to see who he can even bring in at all. I mean, he's this is his first real window, so I mean we'll see who he can bring in or he, who he can convince to come to Arsenal. I mean Arsenal's you know got a good reputation; it's a bigger club. It's just, you know, they're on a slump and they need a little bit of, you know, a little bit of oomph in their step. So, 
I mean, we'll we'll have to see how he does. But that's all I got for Arsenal, personally. Uh, yeah, that's all I got for them too. Um, so what uh, we got our our boy Sheffield United, the Blades, bro. The Blades, the new team on the block that did that like just blew expectations basically. Yeah, they they did fantastic. Chris Wilder really set up Sheffield United wonderfully defensively. Uh I mean, he brought up championship caliber players up into the prem and they finished top half. They're I think it's Sheffield United's greatest ever finish in the Premier League. Yeah. I uh, it's, you know, great for him. I mean, bringing guys in like Chris Basham, uh, John Fleck, Norwood, I mean, all these guys really outperformed their normal level. Um, they're great defensively, like I said. They have the fourth best defense in the league. It is you know impeccable. Just that back five that he plays, and the ability that his defenders have to just keep keeping the ball out of their own box is you know fantastic. But the only real big issue for me is their goal scoring threat. It's not you know not very <laughs> threatening at all whatsoever. I mean they'll hold you down to zero goals, but the chance mm-hmm. of them scoring is pretty low. I mean, they they scored so few goals, but they didn't need to because their defense was so good. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, to see them try and push anywhere past where they are now, they're going to have to get more quality attacking threats. But until then, I think mid-table is probably about as as far as they're going to go currently. Which, I mean, might be good for them because that, you know, that, set, that you know, keeps them protected and staying in the Premier League, which I think is even a huge deal even now for a newly promoted team. But... Hopefully we won't see like a uh, a sophomore slump with the Sheffield United, but I hope they stick around. Yeah, I think uh, I think them having that consistency, even being just a mid table side, you know, that can still attract players to the club. You know, uh, maybe players that know they're not going to get bought up by the top six, but you know, for a little bit there, Sheffield were pushing for for Europa League spots. Um, you know, throughout the whole season, so. Yeah. They can, unfortunately, they found themselves in a situation where they missed out. But you know, it's a, it's kind of like an amazing feat in and of itself. Um, I I I'd imagine they don't have a lot of money to spend. Uh, so really, it'll be interesting to see what they do in the transfer window. I would think, you know, how how do they spend their money? Who do they go after? What kinds of players are they trying to bring in? Um. You know, does Chris Wilder want some uh, younger players to, you know, to supply those goals up front? Does he go with more experienced players that maybe have played in the Premier League? Or, you know, just kind of seeing what pieces he wants um, to really round out the Sheffield United side. Yeah, I could really see, we haven't touched on the uh, relegated sides yet, but I mean, this could be a good landing spot. For some of the strikers on the clubs that just got relegated, so like a Colin Wilson, a Josh King, a Timu Puki, you know, one of these guys could, you know, slide in and become a starter and, you know, instantly, you know, light them up. You know, I I mean, they're going to be on the cheap. I think this, you know, could potentially be a really good landing spot. But until that's addressed, I mean, they're fine defensively. They may add a couple more additions to their defense. Oh, they're going to they're gonna have to get a new goalkeeper, too, at the same time. Is Dean Henderson's gonna have to go back to uh go back to United next season? Maybe he'll get loaned out again. I I'm not really seeing it, but we'll have to see. Yeah, I, at this point, I honestly, and I know we already talked about the the Dean Henderson situation, but uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if he does get loaned back out. 
um, you know, and and just having De Gea back there or, you know, whatever you like. But uh, they are going to be missing that really big piece in Henderson, too. Um, you mm-hmm. know, it's not like he had a lot, a lot of clean sheets, but he definitely helped. Um, he had a lot of big saves. Yeah, it definitely helped in, in maintaining that, you know, goals against, tally down. Um, so he'll be a big miss. Uh, again, very interested to see how, if they spend in the transfer market, you know, small club um, with a really good coach and just trying to see what kind of players he attracts. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, what we got next? Uh, so we're going to skip over Burnley because I, I don't personally have anything to say about Burnley. Um, so we're just going to skip over right down to Southampton. Our boy Southampton. Very, very impressed by, by our boy Ralph out there. Hassan Hotel. <laughs> yeah, nice. Great pronunciation. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think he deserves all the praise. I think uh, they've been just a really, really solid side that came back from kind of the depths of a relegation scrap in uh, midseason. Yeah. I mean, Hassan Hoodle, like he did such a great job. Like, uh, I think he's really starting to bring around Southampton to what they used to be a couple of years ago, like, you know, 2012, 13, 14, 15. Those years when they were just constantly producing talent, you know, they had guys back in the day like Sadio Mane, uh, Luke Shaw. Uh, oh my gosh, they had a couple of midfielders who I, I'm forgetting off the top of my head. Um, but you know, they've they're starting to produce again. Hazen Hoodle's got you know Danny Ings playing like he should have been this whole time instead of riding the bench at Liverpool. He's got what 22 goals this year, crazy. He's got yeah. you know guys like Hoiberg playing at like a top level, Nathan Redmond, James Ward Prowse, like all these guys have become you know, top quality players for them. And he's bringing out the best in the talent that he has. Um, like I said before, they're great offensively. Um, I, I just think he did a great job turning them around, especially after losing to Man City 9-0, to zero, I think it was, earlier in the season. It was Leicester. Oh, it was Leicester. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. they just completely got upended. Yeah. And just the ability to, like, come, or, come back from that and convince your guys to keep on playing and keep trucking through it, like, I... I think he's a great coach. And there's a reason why they call him the Alpine Klopp. That's like, yeah, he's, he's such a good coach. And I'll just have to see what kind of talent they bring in through the transfer window. Maybe strengthen him up. Maybe see him for qualifying for Europa League. You know, challenging some of the bigger boys. But we'll have to see. Yeah, I definitely think that... I, I think people forget that Southampton were almost uh, like a feeder team to Liverpool at one point. You know, they, they were for a while. Yeah, they they uh, Liverpool just snatched up so many of their players that were really really high quality players. Um, I think Hasenhutl can can bring them back up and can at least challenge for a Europa League spot. I think. Um, again, I think I keep saying this for everyone, but if they if they buy smart, they can compete for for a top eight, top seven spot easily. Uh, they know how to press. They know how to pass. They know how to defend. They know how to really see out games and kind of keep, you know, poking the bear at, uh, you know, the bigger clubs. You know, for me, I, the the match that comes to my mind was the um, when they played United. You know, post lockdown. And yeah, I still have nightmares about that game. Yeah, and and both teams played really well and. Everyone thought, first off, United were in such good form that they're like, okay, United are going to win, like, no problem. You know, not that Southampton was bad at that point, but it's just, you know, 
me and you just hit such a stride that it was like no one can stop him. And all of a sudden, yeah. 96 minutes, I think Obafemi, back post into the goal. You know, it, it really yeah, he shows. Came on super late. Yeah, it really shows like the fight that they have, and and for them to turn around and do that after being beat by that much and being honestly humiliated uh, like that. For, for them to kind of turn it around and for them to end in 11 for 52 points, you know, cl- clearly safe from the bottom. Uh, I just think they, they need those little extra pieces to, to push for those uh, higher spots. Uh, I think Hasenhoto can go and coach anywhere he would like. <laughs> I think if he had a little better squad, you would see him in the Champions League. Um, yeah, and I, I would agree with that 1,000%. Yeah, so in I mean, just for future, I would I would really like to see maybe where he ends up past his Southampton days. Um, you know, seeing if anyone would really take a a chance on him. Yeah, you know, any any big clubs around Europe taking a, a chance on him. But um, yeah, they were they were they were fun to watch too. Um, like I said, they they can pass really well. They're not afraid to to attack. They're not afraid to counter. Um. They're not afraid to sit back and defend against the big boys, too. You know, they won 1-0 against City. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that, that game, I think City had, like, what, 20, 22, 23 chances or something like that. Yeah, it's something ridiculous. Insane. So they, they, can, they have these tools where they can play defensively. They can play on the counter. It's really just about solidifying that whole squad and, and kind of pushing that to the next level. But I think that they have the, the right person to do that. Yeah, coach. it's just a matter of if they can hold on to him as well. Yeah, yeah, very true. Seeing if anyone can take a chance on him. But um, very a, a treat to watch this year. I really like Southampton. See what they do next next year. Um, you want to go over to Everton? Yeah, let's jump in. Cool, Everton finished at 12th, 49 points. What do you got to say about that, Almas? Um, Garbage. <laughs> meh. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Just a nice um, garbage or meh. Very disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, with with having a coach like Ancelotti, like you should not be finishing twelfth. I mean, they have top quality talent in Everton. They should not be finishing this low. It's just that simple. You have guys like Richarlison and Calvert Lewin finishing one of his best seasons. Having attacking talent like Sigurdsson, like Theo Walcott, all of his you know depth at the wing. Having guys like Digney, his back line. I mean, Pickford was you know really shaky, but you know it's just. I just don't understand why they were just so bad. Maybe they just need a little bit better creativity in the midfield. Um, lack of creation and play. Like, I, I just really don't know. I don't understand why they played so bad. Yeah, and, and Ancelotti was one of those midseason appointments where I, I looked at it, and at that moment, I think both Arsenal and Tottenham were looking for uh, a new manager, or at least I know Tottenham was. I don't know. It was one or the other or both. Something like that. But. You know, when Everton came out and they're like, all right, we're going to, here we have this guy. You know, this guy that has won a lot of stuff everywhere else. And you put him with a, a really half-decent squad. You know, they're not the greatest. They're not a top-six squad. But there's, there's still something that you can, you know, play with and, and really see how far you can push them. Um, again, just very inconsistent performances. Sometimes uh, they would have these games where... They would come in and they would play really well. Their passing was really tight. You know, Richarlison and uh, Calvert-Lewin were playing really well up top. Sergison was just feeding them balls. And then it's kind of like similar to Arteta, where it's just like the next week they fall off. 
and yeah. really how do you bring that consistency to that squad? Uh, I think they are missing a few pieces, um, but who isn't at this point? Um, but I just think <laughs> that the midseason appointments of uh, of Mourinho and Arteta just worked out so much better for those clubs than because I thought the opposite. <laughs> I was like Ancelotti at Everton, yeah, they're gonna push for a higher spot at that point arsenal and tottenham were doing so bad that i was like i can see everton finishing above them and now you know you see tottenham and arsenal both with you know having chances to play in the in the europa league um yeah just very disappointing um very interested to see again how he spends and and where he tries to fortify his squad Um, yeah i think uh for the most part i i think he may have written off a lot of the players in this squad already, and I think that's why they really dropped off there for a while. I just feel like he was probably frustrated tactfully, and he, I think he's just over some of these players, so I think we're going to see a lot of changes under Ancelotti, but, you know, that's depending on Everton if they want to spend the money, but they're, they're going to have to let some guys go because they're clearly not cut out for what they're trying to do there. No, I'm really hoping that they'll they'll push next season and that, you know, they'll be a, a, at least a good team to watch. Um, I mean, just so inconsistent throughout this season. Uh, we'll see how they try to back that up and follow that up in this uh, upcoming season. Yeah, it'll um, be nice to have a uh, crosstown rival for Liverpool to take some points away for the rest of us. Yeah, and, and to be fair, it uh, uh, they haven't taken any points from Liverpool, but they have had pretty good games against Liverpool. They always kind of low-key show up. Not as much as they should, but they kind of do. Yeah, they manage a uh, squeaky nil-nil. Oh yeah, yeah, that or was a one-one. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how they try to follow that up. You got anything else for Everton? Uh, that's it for me. All right, cool. Um, and we're technically not into the relegation zone yet, but we got to talk about our boys at Villa and the great escape that they pulled off. Yeah. So for me. This reminds me, I, I mentioned Nigel Pearson and Leicester earlier, but this reminds me a lot of their great escape in their first league in the Prem before they you know, became league champions and whatnot. But, you know, Aston Villa was really able to really pull themselves up by their bootstraps and just improve all across the board. I mean, especially defensively. I mean, Dean Smith did a great job, you know, of really setting this team up for success after the restart. And they showed up. They were ready to play. I mean, they're also super lucky with that. He, uh, the goal that didn't count against Sheffield, or was it? Or was it Bournemouth? No, it was. It was. It was, uh, it was Bournemouth. It was against Bournemouth. So that's why. I mean, right now there's reports that Bournemouth are thinking about taking legal action against, you know, that goal that uh, that wasn't given. Yeah, um, Nyland's practically hugging the the post. <laughs> yeah, the it was crazy, <laughs> man, watching that. And uh, I mean, I'm I'm not a fan of either of those two teams, but you gotta feel for Bournemouth a little bit. Uh, yeah, they definitely got the wrong end of the stick this time. Yeah, and and Villa, Villa, they got lucky, you know. But it's all right. Sometimes you just need a little bit of luck, and that's, I mean, unfortunate for Bournemouth. Um, but I. I didn't really see too much in Villa. They they did escape. You know, they came in 17th. They're good for next season. I just don't see them doing much better next season. You know, you have a very good possibility that Grealish is, is leaving. So now you're thinking, how am I going to fill that, that hole? You know, he basically got all their assists and goals. Yeah. Um, he was their threat, and their, their only attacking threat, really. 
I yeah. mean, they were just like a carousel of strikers up top that really didn't settle in ever. I mean, this is, they're probably going to have to do a lot more of the same things they did coming in this year. It's just, you know, bringing more better talent, spending more money. I mean, they're probably going to get a decent penny for, for Graylish, to be fair. So, sure. I mean, maybe if they tighten up a little bit more on defense, uh, get some more attacking threats for the wings and just better strikers all in all. I mean, maybe they could be pushing mid-table, but they have a lot of, you know, they're having an identity crisis and they need to figure out who they are to, you know, avoid getting relegated next season. But, you know, I hopefully they can they can get it together, but we'll see. Yeah, I just, I, I don't I don't see them... Even if they do get the players that they want, you know, even even if they do get like a Grealish replacement, I don't see them uh, really doing much better next season. I still think we'll see them probably fighting to get out of relegation. Um, but who knows? They might pick up the right people and and they might prove everyone wrong. But um, yeah, congrats to Villa. I think I think they deserve to be in 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 top flight. You know, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, it's definitely not a team where I'm just like, okay, well, well, you know, they'll probably leave next season or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, you got anything else for Villa? Uh, the only thing I will say is uh, bring back Christian Pateke. Oh no! Or like Bonlahor. Like Bonlahor, please come oh, out of retirement. Oh my god! Do you remember? Oh, such a tank in FIFA. They used to be so good. I mean, this is the, this is the same team that used to qualify for Europa League and compete in the top half of the table. But, you know, it's different times, and they they try and, you know, find a way to get back there. Yeah, and yeah, I, I have sure. faith they will, but they definitely have some soul-searching to do. Yeah, it might take a little bit of time, but, we, you know, we might see them in up in, you know, uh, upper half of the table or, or whatnot. Um, all right. Up the villains, man. It's time. It's that time to talk about... The three relegated boys. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Just talking about the relegated teams. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, um, we'll kind of go through them um, a little bit more in detail than we have the mid the mid table teams. Um, but that's just because there's a little bit more to talk about as far as you know what their squads gonna look like you know, going into next year. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, let's just start with eighteenth um, place Bournemouth. Um, 34 points in the season. Um, will Eddie Howe stay? Uh, for Eddie Howe, I think it's going to depend on who, uh, what Premier League teams are going to fire their coaches. I think it's going to be a really hot commodity next season. Um, I could potentially see him staying at Bournemouth just because like, he is the reason they've, they've seen any kind of success. Um, he had some really good caliber players around him. Their you know, big issues were their defense. You know, their lack of lack of talent all across the board. And, you know, they're usually able to, you know, scrape by to get, get you know, mid-table or just right above the relegation zone. And this time they just, you know, they're unlucky. And I, that goal that they didn't get uh, with Nyland sitting inside the goalpost, you know, it's super unlucky. It was a complete bun- a blunder from the refereeing staff. But, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. They're going to be in the championship next year. And with their selling of Nathan Ake, they could pretty much rebuild an entire championship side with $41 million, or pounds, excuse me. Yeah, I think um, I, I, I think ultimately it, they were just unlucky. Yeah. I think they should have survived. 
over Villa, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I, I feel like they fought a little better. Um, yeah, but, I, you know, yeah, unfortunately, it was uh, Villa fought really well in the end. Mm-hmm. I think Bournemouth was always in that fight throughout the season, and even last yeah. season too. They've, they've, every time that they've been in the Premier League, they haven't been able to escape some sort of relegation battle mm-hmm. in some part of the season, whether it's the beginning, at the end, at the middle. They're always at some point hovering in a, in or right above 18, 19, 20th spots. Mm-hmm. I think they have a very good championship side, and if they can keep most of this squad, I think they can mount a really good challenge to try to get back into the league next season. Yeah, Out of the teams um, that have been relegated, I feel like they have the greatest chance to come back. Yeah, and I also feel like they, they, have, they, they have the chance of losing the least amount of players, I would say, mm-hmm. besides Norwich. Uh, you know, you mentioned Ake, obviously, gone to Man City. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Callum Wilson, I, I think I saw a report where he's being looked at by Tottenham to back up Harry Kane. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh King, I guess. You know, Josh King. One to get snatched up, maybe, but... Maybe, yeah. And then Jefferson Lerma, maybe? Um, Yeah. He hasn't been playing too hot since he got to Bournemouth, so maybe a lot of people aren't going to take a chance on him. But, you know, you still have a very competent squad led by Eddie Howe. I think Mm -hmm. they have a really good chance of of really taking it to the championship and and try to mount a, a comeback into the Premier League. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Um, cool. You want to go on? Yeah, let's, let's talk about Watford. Watford, the strongest team that got relegated this year, in my opinion. Ooh. Does that make yeah. sense? Right. Yeah. No, like the, I, out of I the, you, out of the three, they mm-hmm. were the strong. Yeah. They were the most um, well-equipped. Yeah, for sure. Uh, very dumb decision to sack Pearson. I mean, just in general, their before. merry-go-round of coaches, I, I, that just never ends well. I think it, they went through it, as many as, like, three coaching changes this year. It almost did, though. It almost did. And a lot of people are kind of not backing the decision to, to fire Pearson, but they're like, look, they were going to play, what, Man City and Arsenal mm-hmm. the last two games of the season. You know, both of them were super informed. So it's like, what do you expect Pearson to do? You know, I, I, I'm not sure. I, again, I don't know if that was a reasoning behind it, but that's kind of the things that I see now. It's like, well, you know, what do you expect? Pearson was going to go in there and, and tie or get points against City and Arsenal? Well, they almost did against um, Arsenal. They almost did, yeah. But it unfortunately was not enough. Um, definitely, I think the, their squad is going to get hit really hard. This summer, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think sure. everyone is going to try to go uh, for. Um, you know who do you who do you see leaving Watford? I have uh, a, I, mean, I have a whole list here, but uh, Etienne Capu comes to mind. Uh, Delafeu, hey, there's no shot that these guys are playing in the championship. Uh, Troy Deeney, I could potentially see stay, just because he's always been a Watford guy. I could just see him sticking around with it. Um, those are the three main ones I had. I know Pareda comes up. Uh, Danny Welbeck too. He- yeah, I I mean, I think Cabasele has a really good shot of, of, you know, going to maybe a bottom half team um, mm-hmm. or even a team that's getting promoted. Um, you know, Decore, uh, Arsenal looking into them. Mm-hmm. Will Hughes, another solid midfielder. Yeah, Will Hughes. Um, 
Pereira, Delofeu, like you mentioned, Demari Gray, maybe. You know, he can be a solid oh, yeah, yeah, backup yeah, yeah, striker yeah. to yeah, somewhere, sure. or he can start, you know, if he goes to, you know, Newcastle or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Welbeck, uh, I can't, I can see Welbeck playing in the championship, but I can also see maybe someone else snatching him up. Um, and then Ismaili Saar, uh, you know, the, the one of the bright spots in Watford this yeah, past he's definitely season. Getting snatched up. Um, so you know, all I mean, if I if it, one two three four five six seven, if all these players go, it's it's eight out of the starting eleven. So <laughs> now you have, now you really have to build a championship level side with who knows at the helm. You know, who knows they're gonna who knows who they're gonna hire. Yeah, that lack of leadership um, definitely hurts them just as much. I think. Yeah, I, I to be honest, I don't see Watford coming up to the Premier League anytime soon. Unfortunately, yeah, they're gonna be stuck in the championship for the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, goodbye. Sorry, Watford. <laughs> goodbye. Uh, and bottom, number 20th, coming in at 21 points, I want to say. Uh, yeah, I wanna 21 say points. No, oh, I have Jesus, 21. Man. Um, all I have written down for Norwich is Womp Womp. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good really... way of putting it. They really had a sorry season, man. It was so hard watching them play sometimes. Although the first yeah. time I watched them play this season was was when they won three two against City. So, uh, I really didn't feel bad after that one. Um, but it's just, I mean, what can you say? They were never really equipped to to be in this league. Yeah, no. Um, I think they they're really a super solid championship side. And unfortunately, I think that's kind of all Norwich is for the moment. Yeah, I mean, they didn't really pick up anybody in the window. They really basically kept their entire squad. That, I mean, mind you, won the championship pretty handily when they got promoted. But, I mean, a lot of these guys are just not Premier League quality. I mean, guys like Timu Puki, uh, Cantwell. I mean, the rest of these guys are championship caliber. Or Bundesliga two caliber, like these guys are not meant for, uh, not meant for the Premier League. Oh, I forgot about uh, Buendia as well. Buendia was top quality as well. Yeah, I also don't think they're at risk to lose a lot of these players. Um, no, they're going to retain you know, a lot of these guys. Everyone's talking about uh, Aaron's and, and Cantwell being the two young guys that, um, you know, really kind of showed out, but. Uh, I think they, I think they can do well with another year in the championship. I, they mm-hmm. got their butts kicked in the in the league all season. Take that, learn whatever you can, go back to the championship, prove you can play, and then maybe go somewhere bigger. Because um, yeah. they're both still young, you know, they, they don't have anything to lose. They're not in their, I don't think they're in their prime yet. No, uh, I, and I, I think they can take another year of being in the championship, getting better, and and really seeing if they can maybe secure a move somewhere after. Um, yeah, I would agree. Norwich is going to keep being Norwich, but uh, I think they have a lot of really nice bright spots in that squad that I think we'll probably see later in the upcoming years in, in the Premier League. Yeah, I can imagine this side uh, going to the playoffs for promotion next season. But whether they get promoted or not, we'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if they, if they did it the year before and with relatively the same squad, they can probably, they can probably get something going. Again, I don't, I don't, I don't see them being in the Premier League, but they can get something going. Yeah, um, 
cool that was that was our little like breakdown of of the season and i think we're just gonna close it close out this uh our first episode in the summer series of league breakdowns with um some some little extra questions about uh certain players certain teams in in the league um so you ready james i'm gonna ask you the first one all right shoot all right player of the year who you got i think we both got the same person which is understandable yeah, I I pick Kevin De Bruyne. I don't think that's Kevin. I love Kevin. <laughs> Good old Kevin. I mean, he he was just something else this year. He finished with twenty assists. He the way he maneuvers with the ball, the way he plays that midfield, the way he's able to you know distribute the ball. Like he he's just so good. I mean, if you sitting and looking here and looking at the list, the short list for the best player of the year they had in the prem. Like I it, I think it's no contest. And he's kind individually, of been since he came to City. Yeah, individually, he's he's uh, had his best domestic season, um, I think, for City. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the first player that has registered twenty assists in two different con or two different leagues because he mm-hmm. did it at Wolfsburg and of course he did it at City. Um, he's just the best guy you can have in your team because. Especially with City playing a lot of sides that'll sit back on you and, and that'll really defend. Having that guy that can have the vision to pick out that pass that you don't think is going anywhere and all of a sudden it finds the feet of Sterling or, or Jesus or Mares. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's it's crazy that he has that kind of skill. Uh, you know, match Terry Henry's record of uh, most assists in the league. Um, he had two taken away from him that were kind of suspicious. So I think you should have had 22, but it's whatever. Player of the year for me, Kevin De Bruyne, my boy, Kevin. Easily Kevin. Kevin. Easily. Yeah. Um. Cool. Glad we agreed on that. Um. <laughs> second I question. Was gonna pick Bruno Fernandez. Um. How about you shut up? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. All right. Second question. Uh, who was your biggest surprise this season? So my biggest surprise to me was Southampton. Is that the is that what the team you picked? Um, what would you say, Southampton? Well, uh, Southampton, as many people may know, the last two seasons they have been god awful. They just been on a complete carousel of players leaving, changing, you know, the coaches. It's just been a a carousel of it's just been a rotating door of people coming and going and coming and going. With the hire of uh, Hassenhudel. He's really solidified that squad as a team and really brought out guys like Danny Ings, James Ward-Prowse, Nathan Redmond. I mean, they've become a really solidified squad. I mean, they were scrapping there for a little bit for relegation. They come out easily, you know, middle of the table at 11th. So I think they overperformed and did really, really well. And I think there's more to come with them. They're going to have the ability to buy more players and bring up more guys to their academy, which is, you know, World renowned, so I I think you know sky's the limit for them. So they were my biggest surprise. What about you, Julio? Uh, I think we actually had the same one. Um, oh, yeah, I had Southampton. Um, and again, I, I we we talked about it a little bit when we went over their season, but it's just for me, it's the response of you know, especially in the winter in the winter period when when they lost that uh, game to Leicester nine zero. Oh yeah. You know, you have you have games every three days. You have the winter schedule is brutal with cups and, and league play. 
and it could have so easily turned out so bad for them. Like they could <laughs> yeah, have, for sure. they could have just like dug their heads in the ground and and still have a relegation scrap. And they they, I mean, to be honest, if if that was the case, I still don't think they would have gotten relegated. Mm-hmm. But coming back from that and and picking up the wins that they did and picking up the points that they did, especially after the lockdown, you know, picking up three points from City, defending really really well against them, picking up a point against. A really, really hot Man United, um, in 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 the last minutes of that game, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I I just think it really goes to show that uh, how good Housen Hotel is at motivating these guys, and and really how just how far they can take it too. Um, yeah, that uh, that game still gives me nightmares. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, ninety six minute. <laughs> okay, big question, James, and our last question too. Um, how would you rate Project Restart? Um, if I were to rate it out of 10, I'd either give it like a 9 or a 10, to be honest with you. Um, I think the professional world of football has really handled, or let me, let me say professional uh, soccer, for those out there before, you know, the NFL season starts. It's coming around for training camps, but it was handled really well. There was little to no, you know, uh, cases of COVID to handle, and which, whatever little cases there were, you know, it was quickly dispersing guys were quarantined and they were able to continue you know playing their season out i mean they they've handled it super well not just the prem the bundesliga la liga all these other places are handling the restart really really well i mean they were able to finish out their season teams were able to you know actually fight for competition unlike uh, you know like league uh where psg just automatically got the title like back in what june may yeah it's pretty pretty early on um, mm-hmm. After everything shut down, uh, they decided to null and void their season. So, I mean, I think they handled it really, really well. I'm, I'm thankful that they were actually able to like televise some of these games. So we could actually watch them. I think they're, you know, they're making you know, the best out of a pretty crappy situation. So, I, I think they did a great job. The safety for the players and the coaches were, you know, at the forefront of everybody's minds, and I, I just think they did a good job. What I think having. I think having soccer back definitely helped my my mental health um, (laughs) (laughs) during this quarantine because I was all for, to be honest, I was all for null and void. You know, I didn't think the situation was that safe to come back to. Um, But I, it was just really refreshing, you know, in a time where we're all kind of mopey, stuck, um, where we are during this whole situation, to have that kind of relief sitting in front of you you know, there were games literally almost every day, which was great. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Not for my work ethic, but for my job. But it was great for me, <laughs> you know. It it was just really refreshing to see those players out there playing with the same intensity as if there were a bunch of people in the stands and scoring goals, not being boring, not letting up. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, was, it was really good for me like i and i i'm really thankful that they you know worked so hard to bring that back and to ensure the safety of all the players all the staff everyone involved in it uh i've said this to you a couple times but i i was watching this it was one of the premier league games um and they they the commentators threw out some kind of stat where it was like there were however many thousands of tests of covid given after the restart and none of them came back negative yeah, that's which is that's like crazy. crazy. And if you if you compare it to what's you know happening in 
in the pro- in the restarting projects of sports here in the United States, it's like it's it's a it's a crazy thing to look at, you know, mm. especially if you you know look at uh, what's going on in baseball right now with having so many games being canceled because they have so many positive tests back. Um, I think they handled it really professionally, really well, and I would give it a nine out of ten. Um, so big ups to the Premier League for making that happen and really doing it to the best of their ability and really safely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I loved I loved getting to watch soccer again. Same, it's got us gave us a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, you got anything else, Hamas? Uh, that's it for me. All right, um, I think that's it for me too. I I really hope y'all have enjoyed listening to our recap of uh, this past season. Um, I hope we didn't bore you too much, go into too much detail. But um, again, we're trying to do this kind of summer series thing where we, um, you know, next week uh, we're not sure if we're going to do the Serie A or the Bundesliga, but we're going to try to handle it kind of this similar. You know, we're going to look at. Uh, European spots, we're going to look at mid-table, we're going to look at relegation, we're going to look at teams coming up, and um, we'll examine it a little bit here and there, and uh, we'll need to study up, because I, I definitely watched the uh, Premier League more than I did the Bundesliga, so, yeah. um, and, and Serie because uh, you know, that's the most games we get here. Yeah. Um, please follow us uh, on Twitter, at TwoFoot, um, you can DM us, TwoTackle, sorry, TwoTackle. Um, we are... Our first episode and this episode will be available on all podcast platforms. So please make sure to like, subscribe, include a comment in there, tell your friends. Um, we're really glad to be doing this. Um, and that's it for me, Hamas. That's it for me, too. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, we'll see you guys back here in a little bit. Peace. Peace.